Hey listeners, it's Scott Groves. Uh, today we're talking to my buddy Daniel Andrews, who is a professional networker. He teaches networking. He is the living embodiment of networking, and he's going to talk today about how networking should be spelled with a capital N and how it's more of a verb. We go into a lot of stuff about B2B selling, B2C selling. We talk about some of the trials and tribulations of being a realtor and also a loan officer, and just talk a lot about how to build relationships, rekindle relationships. And this line is so good. Do you have a contact or do you have a network? And it's the idea of, is somebody in your phone or will they answer your phone call? So tune in and we're going to get into all this today. Welcome to the On The Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, it's Scott Groves. And as you may or may not know, this uh, podcast, On the Edge podcast, is totally self-funded. And uh, although it's just a passion project, the mics cost money. Chris DeRosa, my uh, right-hand man, he costs money to put everything together edit the clips, do the audio, do the visuals. And uh, the only way that that happens is due to the money that we earn doing mortgages with Synergy Mortgage, the Scott and Dallas team or more affectionately known as the Dallas and Scott team now, and through our coaching business, which is Consolidated Coaching. So please, if you're looking to do a mortgage, buy, sell, or refinance a house anywhere in the country, or if you happen to be a loan officer listening to this and you're looking for coaching to improve your business, please get in touch with us. Go to my link tree. Uh, We'll schedule an appointment to talk either about your mortgage consultation or your coaching needs, and we'd love to help because it's through those earnings that we are able to support this show. Now back to the podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Scott Groves with the On The Edge podcast. I'm here with my buddy, uh, Daniel Andrews, which ironically, the the best way to describe him is he is a professional networker or professional network coach, but he also hates the word networker or networking, so we're going to get to that. Uh, he's been self-employed for almost 40 years, has depended almost completely on his network for different type of B2C and B2B sales, and uh, happily married, uh, lives in North Carolina, South Carolina. Where, where are you at right now? Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, South Carolina. There, I got to introduce you to my buddy, Joel Wall. He's out that way and uh, a great human being. Also a world-class networker. But Daniel, let's start there. Why Why do you actually dislike the term networker or networking? Like I know I know there's a definition that people think they think they know about that word. And then there's the there's what you actually teach and have studied and spent kind of your, your life's work on. So tell us more. Sure. Sure. Um, right. It, meaning network uh, as a verb, you know, networking, networking events, networking groups. I love networking. I hate networking. I'm doing even more networking. I'm doing too much networking, whatever people, whatever word, uh, whatever definitions people associate with the word networking as a verb, they can have it. Just whatever you think that is, you've already got your mind made up. You can have that. I talk about building a network. I only use the word network as a noun. I talk about building relationships. I talk about building strong relationships. I talk about building a network. And when I say the word network as a, as a noun, I usually capitalize it, which my English teacher from high school would choke over. But it's because I mean something very specific, right? And that's what I very specifically mean. Your network is the people that will return your call. Say that one more time. Everybody else is just, your network is the people that will return your call. Everybody else is just a contact, which is fine. Contacts can be useful. They can become customers. You can serve them. They can serve you. They have to be contacts before they become network. But uh, my friend, Suzanne Taylor King heard me say that. And she said, give me a minute to restate it. Not because I think I can do it better, but because... I learn when I restate. And I said, okay. So we looked at each other through the Zoom Zoom screen for about 60 seconds. And she said, just because you're in their phone doesn't mean they will answer their phone. And I'm like, you got it, right? I don't care how big your reach is. If those people aren't part of your team, right? If they're not bringing you referrals, doing business with you, then it's, it's fine. You'll just contact them. They're not part of your network. I mean, John Rulin says that the average business lives or dies by 100 key players, not key customers, key players. Yeah, I love that. Are they in your phone or will they answer your phone? Um, right. That's great stuff, man. I I really love that. And 
All right, so let's go let's go back in time a little bit because that's that's a great frame for the conversation. But I guess the mm-hmm. first question is why should anybody listen to you other than the fact that you know if you're listening to this and not watching the YouTube video, you look super dapper. You got a you got a, you got a well fitted suit and you got a good looking tie and you're in some fancy office building. But other than that, what why do you have the expertise in this area? You know why you over anybody else we can find on YouTube to teach us about network with a capital N? Sure. Well, you know, aside from my metal business cards, you know, uh, the reason people listen, which is something else I learned from John Rulin, by the way. Uh, yes, sure. Tell you my journey. Uh, my first 15 years of business, I spent in uh, B2C sales, direct sales and home sales, which was 100% referral based. But it was, you know, who's your next door neighbor? Who's your pastor? Right. Who's your best friend? Right. You know, who do you work with? Who's your spouse work with? So it was very uh, one dimension. And it was very successful, worked quite well. And so I was kind of leading my voluntary benefits, voluntary employee benefits brokerage based on some interesting insurance products and coverages. And I would go in and I would speak to the business owner and they're like, yeah, we need to think about it. And I found what they were doing is they were, you know, letting me exit and then calling through their high school yearbook to see who they knew that was in the same industry I was and could do what I did. And I got very frustrated by that as someone who didn't grow up there and didn't have those connections. And I realized that I needed to bring somebody in that was going to be able to partner with me. Now, I ended up giving away 30%, you know, the commissions, you know, for the introduction, but the light bulb went on for me when I'm talking to Butch, whose family owns a car dealership in every brand, like 12 car dealerships in St. Louis. So no matter what you need to know, that's a big deal, right? Bert was my connection that was taking 30% off the top. And I'm standing there in front of the two of them. And Butch says to Bert, who is this guy? And Bert says, he's my guy. And Butch says, but I don't know him. And Bert said, but I do. And Butch said, what happens if something happens to this guy? And he said, I'll find somebody else that can do the job. And I realized that it, my value proposition was irrelevant in the face of Butch and Bert's relationship that went all the way back to high school. And, and so then I realized that I needed to spend more time investing. And by investing, I don't mean paying 30% off the top of my, my gross commissions, right? You know, but uh, investing in relationships where that would be enough, that the Bert's of the world would go to bat with me for the Butch's of the world because they knew me and they trusted me. Yeah, I love that. So uh, let me ask you that. If if we're thinking about people that sell B2C or B2B, um, mm-hmm. it, it, is, there, is there a shortcut to this or do you just go back to the beginning and be like, all right, you know what? Um, I'm thinking of Denise, Veronica, uh, Elizabeth, Corey, Stu, Rolando, like these guys who were who were trustworthy of me when I was a kid, you know, they, they trust me to mm-hmm. be their, their designated driver in high school, or, uh, they would trust me to take them to, uh, to the winter formal and not be inappropriate. Cause we were just friends or they would trust me at wrestling practice to be their sparring partner, even though I was 40, 50 pounds heavier than them. Um, do we, do we go back in time and try to rekindle those relationships and be like, Hey, you know, in my perfect world, I want to do mortgages with people who already know, like, and trust me. There's probably a lot of people who know, like, and trust Ronnie Ball. I need to be working with Ronnie to remind her what I do so that she can be my Bert, right? And make those introductions. Or do I just go with the people I'm working with now and try to build a deeper relationship? So I'm just, I'm trying to think of like, I'm always thinking like strategically, like if I'm going to attack sure. this group or build relationships with this group or go right. to this group, do you go, do you go back in time to the people that you have the deeper, older relationships with and try to turn them into business referrals? Or do we take business referrals and try to turn them into closer friends, which I've got some arguments with that. But um, where, where would you start if you're like, hey, business is good but I know it could be better. I sell B to B, I sell B to C, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just, I want to do better. Do you go back in time or do you just go deeper with who's currently in your bullpen? Uh, e- either is a legitimate approach, but I'm more likely to be strategic, meaning, and I'll talk about what it means to select your, what I call a key referral partner well, meaning they could consist of people that I'm currently in business with or adjacent to. Or it could be people going back. But just because the trust is there doesn't make them inherently a good model. And, you know, the, the most prosaic example is the world that you work in, right? Loan officers, right? Mortgage lending, real estate. Meaning uh, there's 
just because I know somebody and they trust me doesn't mean they're in a position to consistently put me in front of prospects the way that someone in your reciprocal industry, real estate loan officers can do for each other. Right. Right. So there's part of that, meaning unless one of my old high school friends happens to be real estate or loan officer, you know, the corresponding role. Right. Then then you could invest that time in rekindling that and it could be somewhat productive, but not as productive as finding somebody in the appropriate industries, adjacent industries that you can go deep with. Now, here's the interesting part about this. And you said something that I think we might, you and I might actually have uh, views that, that need some clarifying or maybe in opposition, which is fine because not every, you know, a lot of my stuff's opinion. I got a lot of facts, but I got opinions too. Um, but I think the biggest, it's, it's actually not a long process, by the way. You don't have to spend four years in high school with people to build trust. There are roadmaps to building it quicker. And what most people miss is... Uh, they're asking the wrong questions, right? And, and I'll talk about that one second. But you said something that I'm going to pick up on because I always do this. You said the phrase, know, like, and trust, which is a subset of the complete sentence. People do business with folks they know, like, and trust. Okay, what's the most important word in that sentence? No, people? I don't know. Business. The most important word in that sentence is business, <laughs> right? Meaning if you have a model based on no like, and trust, all you're really doing is making friends, Right. Are there people in your world, and you don't have to call them out. This isn't a blacklist. This is a yes or no question, Scott. Are there people in your world that you would go to game, you know, have to your house for game night or go to the bowling alley with, but you would not hire them to do what they do for you? Yes. Okay. Right. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah. No, it's it's funny <laughs> you mentioned people? this because she might she might watch this podcast. I just had this conversation with a friend, uh, Ariel of mine the other day, cause she's a, she's basically a personal trainer, uh, comes from the fitness background, doing a lot of life coaching. She knows I've consistently had problems with my weight and like kind of my, uh, relationship with food, horrible family history. And she just straight up asked me, she's like, Hey man, can I ask you kind of a, an intimate question? And I'm like, yeah, as long as this doesn't get weird, you know, around my wife or something. Sure. And she's like, no, not like that dummy. She's like, she's like, you know what I do. Uh, I know you have a problem. Why don't we work together? And I'm like, to tell you the truth, you and I are really good friends. Um, I trust you. I I think we have a friendship. And like, I could see a business relationship between us ruining uh, our friendship. So I, I rather I rather stay friends with you and find some other coach than give you a couple extra bucks and that cost our friendship because I think you're a great person and I, I want you in my corner as a friend. And then of course there's other people who I won't use by name who I think they do a shitty job at what they do, but they're right. they're good guys. I'll go have a drink with them. Right. We'll, okay, so, so, yeah. so there you go, right? I you know you have a policy in this moment, in this case of not doing business with a friend. Right. Do you, have you ever met somebody that says, I have a policy when I'm doing business with people? I don't I don't want to get to know them. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to. Right. No, people do like to enjoy becoming more friendly, meaning it's easier to evolve a friendship out of a business relationship than it has evolved a business relationship out of a friendly relationship. Right. So oh, that's a good point. When people start by, you know, are you a nice person? That is wholly irrelevant to telling me whether I want you in my world as a referral partner. Because to me, key referral partner is somebody that I can support and be supported by. Right. I'm not just going to give a lead to anybody. Right. And so if I investigate, if I examine, if I question around business modalities, and which is still part of their personality, but I ask questions like, tell me a, an example of a, an experience with a customer where you got it the next day and went, that's why I do what I do. Right. What? What's the review you go back to that makes you glow inside? Tell me about a case where it started well, went south, but you turned around and got a four or five star review out of it. Because all of those things tell me about their personality, but they also tell me how they do business, right? how they do business. And that's going to determine whether or not I want them in my trusted corner as somebody that I will give and receive referrals from. And we're asking one set of questions. We're focused on the same model our mom and dad gave us when we went off to the new big school, whether it was middle school or high school, you know, being interested in other people, ask about their personal lives, right? Find out what's going on in the world, which is fine. But if that's where you stop or that's where you start, then you're building friendships and you're missing out on the business side of things. Yeah. So let me, um, let me give you an example where I'm jaded um, and then maybe you can give me some coaching around this, right? So, sure. so I, I'm jaded in this manner of I'm a loan officer. Our, our best referral sources are uh, our realtors, right? And when you're, when you're doing this fact-finding um, 
kind of, we'll call it a discovery call or a get to know you or a coffee appointment or a lunch appointment. And, and we're having this conversation. Hey, tell me about a time things went well, they started to go south and then it recovered well. Tell me, tell me about why it's important to you. You know, what, what is your current, uh, uh, lender doing well for you? Right. Tell, tell me some things you Mm -hmm. like, you don't like, right. You're doing the whole high trust sale. This is classic Todd Duncan, get to know them, you know, understand their needs analysis, the SWOT analysis. There's a million different names for it, but it's, it's basically that relationship building phase. Every realtor will tell you the same thing. Hey, Scott, I just want transparency. I just want honesty. If you got to tell me on day one that something goes sideways, just tell me on day one because I rather know the truth up front than, you know, 25 days into the transaction, find out there's a problem. Every realtor will say that. And then here's where I'm, here's where I'm jaded and you can give me some coaching, Daniel. When I tell them on day one, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Realtor, um, here's the deal. Your client can't figure out how to access the electronic disclosures. I had to print out a copy and mail it to them. I'm telling you right now, because the client is a little older and can't figure out how to use the internet, we're going to close the deal late. We should just right now, before we get into this headache, we should ask for a seven day extension. Let's just make it easier on everybody. What happens at that moment is the buyer's agent goes, well, I'm not gonna tell the listing agent. Let's just lie to them until day 25 and then ask for the extension. Oh, and by the way, Scott, now that you were honest with me and transparent, I'm gonna call you every hour on the hour for the next 25 days to see if you're behind, see if you're staying on top of the client, see if you're screwing up. And I'm like, this is why lenders aren't transparent with you because it would have been less work for me just to hang you out to dry 25 minutes in or 25 days into the transaction. Like you don't actually want me to be honest with you. Um, So this is where I'm jaded. Sure. And please, let's not put it on real estate agents. Most people say they want the truth. And then when you tell it, you're the asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, does it, does this George Carlin said that, right? Yeah. Does it, does this dress make me look fat? Uh, uh, it's a trap. It's a trap. I'm not even talking about that level. People say they want the truth because they think they can deal with it. But if it means extra work for them or it means they look bad, I'm interested in it. And I've got a whole philosophy around, you know, what I've observed in people's ability to recognize themselves as different than who they truly are. Right. Meaning if, if, anyway, got a whole man that we could spend another hour on that. But anyway, uh, the first is, Yes, that's 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 its own red flag, right? Uh, don't hold it against the industry, right? It's people in general that don't do well with truth, which is a challenge because I believe in telling the truth all the time. And uh, most people will tell you, my first wife included, dance better in small doses, right? right. I, I get a lot of stories that start with, well, at first, I didn't really like you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know how this one is. <laughs> right? But now I'm your hero. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, this happens a lot. But anyway, um, because I, I just, I mean, I'm not brutal, but I'm not going to hide anything. Jack Welch said it. Tell me early, tell me all. Yeah. Tell me early, tell me all. Tell right? me early, tell me um, all. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I'm, I'm I'm roughly paraphrasing, but tell me early was part of it. Um, anyhow, so here's the key, right? Then you mark that down. I mean, and you had to go into that. You had to show some trust in that situation, right? But you mark that down as somebody that doesn't do what they say they're going to do. So when somebody asks you for a referral, they're not on the list anymore, right? And so one of the ways they can build trust that you can't, I, I, this, I mean, I'm kind of giving away the secret sauce here. But why do you get referrals from customers? Because we did a good job. Because they trust you. Yeah. Right? Because you've had experience with customers. You you don't want referrals. They'll never refer you and you wouldn't take it anyway. Right. It's because it's the ones that, which should be a majority, it's because they trust you. Not because they've been your customer, because they trust you. Yeah. Okay. Why do they trust you? You did what you said you were going to do. You're an expert in your industry. You kept them up to date on the progress and you showed up for your appointments. If somebody's going to be a key referral partner of mine, and not my customer because you can't buy a house from every agent right that wants to put you to put them on their referral list right right how can they build trust with you understand their industry do what they say they're going to do keep you up to date on the progress and show up for their plans yeah it's the same principles the same tools that build trust you just deliver that trust in a different way than you do when they're a customer right it's it's two paths to referral it's two paths to trust building. One's customer centric and one's referral partner centric. Right. But you're still trying to build trust, and the and the deliverables are still the same. Right. You do what you say you're going to do. You you know your industry. You keep them abreast, and you show up for your appointments. 
but the, the feeling, the way that's expressed is different to somebody that's a customer that's a referral partner. Yes. Agreed. So, yeah, those people are clearly not comfortable with what they said they were comfortable with, which is a reason for you to be like, all right, you're going to be least, less likely to get a referral from me. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, what one of the things that I value most about my good referral partners is they'll tell me when something's going sideways. Because I have, I have referral partners who, you know, not only did I think we were friends, I thought we were great friends. We had closed you know, dozens of deals together. And then, you know, somehow, some way, something went wrong that I wasn't even aware of and the relationship drifts apart, right? Or somebody else wedges their way into that service provider relationship and, you know, kind of path of least resistance. They keep going down that path. But I love when I have a referral partner when I'm not doing one of those things, showing up for the appointment, giving good feedback. When I get a call and like, hey, Scott, here's where we're dropping the ball. Here, here's where either the client's uncomfortable or we need you to step in and, and do some stuff. And like, I love those type of honest, transparent relationships because then, you know, I'm frustrated for about 30 seconds with myself or the client or I feel they did something wrong and I didn't do something wrong, but it's like, hey, at least now I know and I can course correct. So for me, being someone who loves the transparency and the brutal feedback, I'm always so confused when I give that to somebody else and and it's it's too the detriment of the relationship or or it creates more work for people. It's it's like a it's just a, a misalignment of value sometimes that's really tough for me. And and the reality is that it's okay because that's part of your filter. Right. You said, you know, it's a detrimental to the relationship. And I would put I would either put relationship in quotes or I would put a lowercase r, meaning I would argue that you don't truly have a relationship if they're not willing to tell you what's going on. Right. The, the, the guy that owns the space. I mean, this is a co-working space. We joint venture on a couple of things every now and then because we have a lot of respect for each other. And he came to me recently. I said, hey, I haven't heard from you on the update on the project lately. And he goes, yeah, about that. And I said, are you overwhelmed and it's not happening? And he said, no, it's not that. And I said, I can hear you. There's something that you don't want to tell me, but I need you to tell me. Well, right. I don't really want to tell you. And I said, do you understand that I will lose respect if you don't tell me what you're trying to, what, what you're holding back on? And he said, there's five people that want to be involved, which we need six, us and six. He said, three of them don't want to be involved if you're involved. And I said, I can step out. I said, I can respect that. I'm not for everybody. Right. And I said, I said, I'm frustrated that I had to drag it out of you because yeah. now I'm 30 days behind where I thought I was going to be, where I was going to put my time. Right. You know, you've been dealing with this for a month, right. Dreading telling me. And you found out you didn't have to dread telling me because, well, he said, well, I wanted to defend you. And I said, why? Because you're my friend or because they misunderstood me. And he thought for a second because he understood the dichotomy. And he said, because I'm your friend. I said, don't. I don't need defending because you're my friend. If they misunderstand me, that's worth something. Right. But I said, if I'm not for them, I'm okay with that. So it's a filtering process. And you're going to draw towards you given that there are three, 400,000 real estate agents in your neck of the woods. Right. Somebody wants to let themselves off of that train by saying they stand for one thing when they don't. Right. Then that's okay because you only need 15 or 20 key referral, uh, you know, real estate agency referral partners to be insanely successful. There's no reason. And I'm talking about you. Right. You know, the average agent can get by with four or five, you know, the average loan officer. And, and the reverse is true. Yeah. Right. So, so let them, let them step off. Right. Let them, let them identify themselves. It's not right for this environment. Yeah. But I, I'm with you, man. I tell the truth and I, and I want it. And it's amazing to me that you have to drag them out of people sometimes. Now, having said that, I don't judge people on the mistake. I judge people on the way they bounce back from the mistake. So when somebody says to you, Hey, Scott, you know, we used to have a really good relationship and it seems like you got a little slack about these last couple of referrals I sent you. Right. I appreciate that they're giving me the, the chance to open the door again. Right. Right. Agree. Right. Give me a chance to own the mistake. Right. I hate it when I have to say this is 100% my fault. This got buried in my inbox and I didn't see it. And that's not my first reaction. Right. But I take a deep breath and I go, as much as it pains me to say this, I'm going to find out who they're about when they decide how they're going to treat me when I acknowledge 100% fault. Yeah. So let's let's address two 
two issues and you can go with either one first. Let's sure. say, let's say you have a contact, right? And they're not yet, they're not yet in your network, right? So they're, maybe you're in their phone, you're in their phone, but you're like, dude, I just, I feel it in my bones that this person would be a good model match to work with. I want to move them from contact to in my network and have a relationship with them. What are maybe a couple of techniques there? So contact to actual relationship in my network. And then conversely, let's say you had a relationship, you had somebody in your network where something went sideways, right? They either got enticed by another service provider or, or you screwed up a deal or you don't know what happened and you want to pull them back into the network. So either, you know, you, you've got, you've got a, a lukewarm, call and you've got a past really warm relationship but for whatever reason they've drifted into that contact phase and you want to pull them back into the network and uh, and and get them as part of your your relationship and your referral partner again give us a couple tips sure. on that sure well and i think they're similar in that you know they're both at the moment lukewarm one is going from cold towards warm potentially the other's been hot and is headed towards cold Right. There, there's some some similarity. Right. And I would say and I definitely want to make sure I use my words clearly. There's an approach that will work. I don't want to say a trick because it's not a trick. It's an approach that will at least clarify what's available to you. And this is a question most people fail to ask at any point in the relationship. But, you know, the, the, I think that my you know lead capture tool. Right. <laughs> when I produce one is going to be these two questions, the two questions you have to ask, not should ask, not the top two questions, the two questions you must ask if you're going to build a referral, a key referral partner relationship. And the first is, and I'll role play with you, Scott, the reason I asked you to go to lunch with me is, to, is because I want to learn enough about your business, who you serve, how you serve them, and what resources you need to give you good leads, prospects, customers, contacts, and resources when you need it. And I would want you to do the same for me. Is that a relationship you're willing to pursue? Okay, because what you'll find is that, oh, no, we do that in-house. We don't refer that out. Wouldn't you want to know that early? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Now, if the, the, the wording only changes slightly, if you and I have already had been hot and now it's, I'm afraid it's drifting towards cold, right? It's, it's almost the same. Scott, you and I have worked together well in the past, right? But I wanted to catch lunch with you today or the Zoom with you today or coffee with you today or whatever you want to call it. I call them all paired interviews. And you know where I get that phrase from, yep. paired interviews, right? And, you know, is that a relationship that we want to continue pursuing? Well, Dan, my brother-in-law went into your business and he knows I produce a lot of referrals and I can give you some, but if I don't give most of them to him, it's going to be really weird. Yeah, it's the end of it. I'm just not up for that. I need to, and when I give people space to tell me the truth, right, then I've got something to work with. Like, you know, like, no, 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 Scott, uh, no, this is totally on me. I appreciate you coming to me. Yes, it's been on my mind that you dropped the ball with Suzy Q. Right. And I never really understood why. And I think I just kind of blamed you in the back of my head. Can you walk me through what happened there? And if I've got to take 100% responsibility, yeah. that builds trust. Yeah. Does it mean that. I'm going to win it back? But at least they know I'm willing to own it. Right. Rather yeah. than make excuses. And, and, but asking people, is this something you want to pursue? And this is particularly, particularly important for men and women because of men. <laughs> men categorically cannot tell the difference between uh, kindness, friendliness, and flirtation. <laughs> so when I sit down with somebody, male or female, because there's all tastes across the world, right? And I identify that the reason I've asked them to lunch, you know, initially is because this is, I'm trying to build a professional relationship here. Then they never have to wonder, right? Why is this guy asking me to lunch every right, month? Right? Right. They never have to wonder if I'm friendly to him, is he going to get the wrong impression? They never have right. to wonder what does my husband think of this guy meeting with me, right? None yeah. of that. I've set the tone early. And yeah. there's a huge, huge benefit to that. And then the other question, because I've hinted at it, and this can apply here too, under what, right, meaning as you're building or trying to rebuild, still a legitimate question, the other of the two that you have to ask, under what conditions would you feel comfortable referring business to me? And that's key for a couple of reasons. Number one is because you now know what they expect from you. And what if their expectations are ridiculous? Well, you need to take it all's chop house and you're done once a month for a year. And then after that, we can see about it. Yeah. Great, Scott. I'm stepping off of this train right now. Yeah. What if they say, I'm pretty good with it right now. 
I know enough about you. I've read your reviews. You know, you referred to me as a referral partner. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to gamble at least a couple of leads with you right off the bat. Third reason it's important is you now have permission to ask for the lead. When you cross that bridge, when you meet that bar, when you met that standard, you now have permission to go, hey, Scott, who you got for me this week? Yeah. And they now have permission to give you the referral. They don't, well, let me check with Susie first. And it's subconscious, but they don't have to do that because they already said, when you X, I will produce reports. Yeah, I love that. Um, so inter- interesting dynamic. And this is, yeah, I'm sure this shows up in other industries, but we'll just go to the one that I'm most familiar with. Obviously, the, sure. the lender-realtor dynamic is, you know, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, I, as the lender, would hold all the keys, right? Because Daniel Andrews uh, does a quick Google search or he wants to buy a house and he says, oh, well, duh, the smart thing to do is to get my finances in order, define what type of loan I qualify for, define what purchase price I need to like be looking in, and then I'll go find a realtor to help me find that house. But in America, that it never happens that way. One, because the loan is the logical side of it. Buying the cool house is the emotional side of it. And we're always going to lead with emotion and then, you know, justify with intellect. That's number one. And number two, to their credit, the National Association of Realtors, NAR, is a more powerful lobbyist than the NRA, the National Rifle Association. But the NAR has done a great snow job on the American populace of like, you know, your search for a home starts with a realtor. They'll help you find a house and you'll fall in love. And then you'll scramble on Friday at four o'clock to find a lender to see if I actually qualify for the million dollar house I just went and viewed. So in America, we have it all ass backwards in how we shop for a home, which unfortunately for me as the lender puts me in this really um, kind of handcuffed side of the house where when I'm talking to realtors, they hold all the keys, right? Because by kind of cultural norm, they're going to get to the consumer before we do as the lender. Now, there's some interesting stuff happening in technology and whatnot that I think is shifting that dynamic. And it's going to create a lot of... um, of love loss between realtors and loan officers. If loan officers fill it out, figure if, if loan officers figure it out and we've been like the beaten redheaded stepchild for 40 years and now all of a sudden we hold the keys to the kingdom where we can refer the buyer back to the realtor, that'll be a sea change in the dynamic of that relationship. But as it is right now, you know, when I think about that first question, hey, what resources do you need in order for me to help get referrals to you? That that's a tough question for me to answer because in the social zeitgeist, people don't come to me first and then I have somebody to refer a realtor, right? So a lot of times I'll sit down with a realtor and they'll be like, oh, I'd, I'd love to be in a relationship with you, Scott. I know you've been in the neighborhood for 20 something years. You know, I was the listing agent on a couple of deals. You closed on time. Like, how about you give me a referral and I'll give you a referral? It's like, well, that's not really the way it works because people don't start with me to buy a house. They always start with you and I, I need right. you more than you need me. <laughs> Um, they need you to do your job well. Yes, yes. More than you need them to do their job. Mm. Which is to say that, yes, it would be nice if there was a one-to-one correspondence. It'd be really nice if people call their mortgage lender first. Right. right? And I get it. And the NAR is the number one lobbying in terms of money spent in the, in the country. Yeah. They spend more than literally any other organization, right? Which is why we get some whack taxes. And I'm certainly not trying to bash the industry. You can't blame them for you know, doing what's best. For yeah. Them. They're looking out for their own, like good on them in a, in a, in a corporatistic atmosphere where, you know, the government can be bought. Why wouldn't they buy it? Right. Of course. So they did. Right. So here we are, but keep in mind that, that if, because they're the face of the deal, your ability to execute correctly, not to draw outside the lines if it's not called for, but to execute correctly and to help them meet to meet their expectations so they can meet the promises they made to the lender is more important than any deal you could bring them, meaning your ability to close the deal quickly. So sometimes, and that's why I say resources, right? Oh, I have a prospect for you. Do you have one for me? No, maybe the resource they need from me is me. Maybe they need me to sell their customer something as well and to do it well in such a way that I'm the hero to the realtor because the realtor is the one that referred you. Meaning I'm not too worried about, can I get you a deal for you? You bring me a customer, I bring you a customer. I'm worried about what can I do and what ways can I serve you that make you feel that you're supported as much as you are supported. Yeah. Right, Bob, it's gonna be a four to one ratio for leads and I know it. 
But if I execute well, if I'm never late at closing, if every I is dotted and T is crossed, if I never FedEx the package to the wrong address, is that enough to stay in your top two or three? Yeah. No, I, I and love then that. they go, that's it. They may say that's it exactly. I love that because I'm thinking specifically about one realtor that I've worked with on and off for 10 years. And I think we're now on probably round three of her falling out of love with me and then falling back in love with me. And when she falls out of love with me, it's because somebody else is offering a shiny object or, you know, she saw some political thing on Facebook that she disagreed with me and she was mad. So she went to another lender. But when she falls back in love with me, it's because she realizes, oh, Scott and the team do something I don't know what it is, but they do something to hold the deal together, right? And it's part of our opening checklist. Like, for example, when we go under contract, and you'll appreciate this, Daniel, just because of who you are. When we when we go under contract, it's one of my first two or three bullet points to tell the client, hey, listen, buying a house is complicated. There's 25 different parties involved. And unless you're, bu- unless you're buying a new build house out in Temecula, California, an hour away from downtown LA, two hours away from downtown LA, you're going to be buying a hundred year old house that has some problems. So something's going to go wrong with the title, the inspection, the appraisal, the getting the, ins- something's going to go wrong. And when that happens, don't worry, don't freak out. Just text me. We'll get all the adults in the room and, uh, and we'll find a way to fix it. Right? So all of a sudden when they find the 20, thousand dollar foundation issue they're like oh shit scott told me about this we'll just get the contractor on the phone we'll get the inspector on the phone and we'll fix the problem and those intangibles are hard for me to explain to the realtors i work with but the ones that fall out in love with me and then they they end up not closing a deal because the lenders doesn't have that finesse and they're like wait a minute i just lost out on a thirty thousand dollar commission check I think I need to go back to Scott, even though I disagree with him politically. Maybe he's not my cup of tea, you know, personally. Like, I know he gets the deal closed. And so I don't know how to articulate that to, like, new contacts that I want to bring into my network. Sure. Well, and and part of it is, I mean, even your your relationships sometimes have to rediscover this, you know, through experience, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's no, no teacher-like experience, right? Right. And I think it's interesting, right? What you said, you know, they fall out of love with you, you know, around your politics, right? You know, the Democrats and the Republicans both hate me because I'm libertarian and I'm fine with that. Hey, me too. Right. Me too. I, I get. That's I get. Why you, that's why you. That's why you and I are so tight. I get. But I get screamed is, at. I get screamed at all the time from my Republican friends because I didn't vote for Trump. I get screamed at all yeah. the time by my liberal friends because I didn't vote for Hillary. So I must have voted for Trump. And I'm like, no, both of you guys are wrong. Anyway, I digress. I said, I, I said, I voted for the woman and the Jew. I don't know. I don't know who you're calling racist, but I voted for the woman and the Jew. Yeah. Know? Jorgensen, Joe Jorgensen. She's our girl. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott, I mean, as Spike, he's going to run for president next time. Anyhow, that's me there and her there. My point is you're reinforcing something that I said earlier, which was there are people that you will do business with. In her case, she'll do business with you, although she wouldn't invite you to her house for game night. And I'm okay with that. Right. Right. Meaning on a professional level, she's worried about getting the deal done with the least amount of hassle. Right. And they will tolerate the fact that you've got a different set of political views or whatever the case will be. You know, they'll never invite you to their house for, you know, Hanukkah or Christmas. Okay, can we do business? Now, how do you articulate that to new people? I, I, I think the only thing that speaks to that is your reviews. Right. And and you can get a million reviews from the customer easily. But when you can get a review or two and maybe not even public, meaning I don't care if it's public or not, on letterhead from another agent, a real estate agent that says, yeah, I've been around the block a few times, sometimes with Scott, and sometimes not. And the ride is always bumpier when it's not with Scott. And you lay that down and go, look, I get it that you've got a lot of people out there that want your business and they'll promise you a lot of things. And I'm not saying that any of them won't keep their promises, but I am saying that I will. Right. And, and when you, if you choose not to refer me at first or you give me some of your business, but not all of it, I don't hold it against you. All I want to know is that you're paying attention to who gets the job done. Not who brings the best castle to the pot rock, not who you're related to by blood, not who, send you the nicest Christmas gift, but who gets the job done? And that's the only, only criteria on which I want to earn your business. I love this. I, I, I love this a lot because, you know, I talk, I, I coach loan officers and um, a lot of them equate it to like 
getting stuck in the friend zone with a girl, right? Your typical romantic comedy of the best friends just stuck in the friend zone and she's trying to date the the high school quarterback or whatever. And, you know, I, I'm thinking of one uh, loan officer in particular, he won't mind me using his name, my buddy Eric. And he's like, Scott, I, I don't get it. Like I, I host these lunch and learns every month. Um, I've got a couple realtors that are top producers. They like me, they take my call, they, they come to the lunch and learns. They're always thankful of the value in the information. And then when I'm like, hey, uh, Bill, um, any reason why I shouldn't expect a referral from you in the next seven days? They're like, yeah, 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 we'll get there. Or it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I got my guy, but you're number two on the list. And like, well, wait a minute. You've been coming to my lunch and learns for like a year. We seem to have a good rapport. We're becoming friends. You know I do a great job. Like, where, where's the disconnect? Like, a little something for the effort, right? Like, I'm thinking of that scene in Caddyshack where he's like, I just, you know, I just did 18 holes for the Dalai Lama and he's about to stiff me on the tip. And it's like, hey, a little something for the effort. And so I know a lot of good loan officers who have good reviews, who do do good volume, who invite the thing, the people to the thing, and they've they're 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 putting their arms around them, and they're like they're stuck in the friend zone, and, and I'm I'm sometimes at a loss of like, hey man, I don't I guess just more of the same, stay in their circle, keep asking for the referrals. Yeah. Eventually, the other guy's going to drop the ball. Well, more of the same, you know, probably not going to take you where you want to go, right? If nothing changes, nothing changes, right? I mean, clearly I can say refer him to me because I have a coaching program, right, right, now, right. right? And I'm very happy to take that. But I would say this, right? You know, you know, we're becoming friends. Okay, but that's not the answer, right? What have you done to solve their problem? Sure, they like the lunch and learn. Sure, they like the, you know, continuing ed credit if that's what you provided for them, right? But have you solved a problem for them. What are you doing to make their life better? Is it bringing them a referral, you know, a, you know, a customer that they can, you know, profit from? Is it executing the loan well? And so it goes back to that question early, under what conditions would you feel comfortable referring business to me? Well, Scott, the guy that's been our full partner for 30 years, he'd have to drop dead of a heart attack. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm going to drop you a card once a year and keep an eye on the obituary column. And I will tell you this, Scott, the minute he drops dead, I'm showing up on your doorstep and we're going to make things happen. Yeah. By the way, I'm thinking, okay. I'm thinking about what, I, but I want to know that they will tell you, but they'll tell they you ask. They, they, they hope to just throwing off this aura of goodwill. Right. I, I love that question because I'm thinking of how this question relates in other areas of our life, right? Like if you're my boss and we've kind of been doing this dance for a couple of years, coming to you and say, hey, Daniel, under under what circumstances or under what conditions would need to exist for me to get promoted, for me to get a pay raise, right? Um, and I've got a uh, I've got a really close friend whose wife I won't use the name of the company was uh, an associate at one of the biggest law firms in the company, like real big. You know, um, uh, they they represent politicians when they get in trouble and all kinds of stuff. And she finally went to him and said, "Hey guys, been working my ass off. I think I do good work. Under what conditions would uh, need to exist in order for me to get promoted?" And they straight up told her, "They're like, you know what? We love you. You're lovely. You'll always have a." quarter of a million dollar salary here because you're a badass associate. But the bottom line is you didn't go to a tier one law school. You don't have political or entertainment relationships to bring in business. You'll never make partner. So you're, you are welcome to work here 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week for the rest of your life. And we will love and honor you and pay you a quarter of a million dollars with a two to 5% inflation raise every year. You're never going to make partner. And she's like, Hey, that sucks, and thanks for telling me. Now I can go look for other ventures at other law firms where I can maybe make partner. Instead of, she would have wasted another 10 years of her life waiting to make partner had she not had that conversation. It, 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 correct, because they will assume the work you're doing for the pay you're getting is sufficient, right? right? Until you articulate, I need to get promoted, right? The, the one time in my adult life, literally the one time in my adult life that I had a job, I asked that question, What's it take to get promoted? And seven days later, I'm sitting on the curb because the guy that I, that I, I, whose job I wanted didn't like the fact that I wanted his job. Right. And I'm cool with that because at least I knew, you know, it ain't happening. Right. And I'm 100% fine with that. But but by the way, you 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 said something that you might not realize the profundity of it. You said, well, you didn't go to a tier one uh, you know, uh, law school and you don't have the connections that it takes to bring in the, if I'd been her... I would have flipped it and said, is the tier one law school the important part? Or you think that's the only route to rainmaking? And if they're like, 
if you think you can rain make, then bring it. Okay, so what's my path? How much business do I need to bring in in the next six months? How much in the next year? How much in the next two years before you go, this woman's got it. And then I would go and build my network. Because you can recreate it, man. I didn't, I, I, you know, I don't have a huge, you know, uh, portfolio behind me, right? I don't have a, a silver spoon history behind me. Right. I have ground out my relationship building. I have ground out the connections that I want and need at this point. You know, I've made it happen. And, and so, you know, now she may decide that, you know, if it takes a few years, it's not worth it. Right. And that's still a legitimate decision, but you know, you kind of dropped a nugget in there and you're like, you know, they told her that she didn't have the network to bring the rep. And right. she, you know, if I'd been her and I thought I had tools to change my network, I would have said, so let's loop back to that. Yeah. Can you tell me that's really the criteria because if it is, I'll pursue that. I love that. So let's get let's get some free coaching for the realtors because I've been beating up on sure. realtors a little bit in this dynamic between lenders and realtors. I, on, and I love to help them. Yeah, on, on the realtor side of things, I, I hear this a lot from newer realtors. There's, you know, a contract is a contract is a contract. Selling a $500,000 house is ironically not that different from selling a $2 million house other than the fact that maybe the $2 million buyer has a financial planner and maybe has a, you know, mother-in-law who's giving them the gift for the down payment. So maybe a few more decision makers of relationships to manage, but for the most part, a contract is a contract is a contract. Is An inspection is an inspection. You know, a chimney inspection is the same whether it's a $5 million house or a $50,000 house. Um, True. But there is this intimidation factor where, where realtors will start their career going for the you know, down payment assist program or advertising to the person that's one day out of bankruptcy or, or working on, you know, for lack of a better term, the poor side of the tracks, right? A lot of realtors will start this and then they'll spend 10 years building up that person to be a move up buyer. And then they'll have a listing and then they'll have a buyer in a, in a wealthier neighborhood. And then 10 or 15 years in, they'll start to be like, Oh, now my buyers from 15 years ago, who've had compounding interest and the uh, the time to build equity and move up. Now they're starting to play in the more expensive spaces. If somebody wanted to bypass a lot of that by saying, hey, I'm not scared. I want my network to determine my net worth. I need to find a way to hang out today with the people that are buying $1.5 million houses instead of $300,000 houses. What advice would you give to that like um, realtor who's who's more um, more motivated to work with a higher client, a uh, higher priced clientele up front versus like, you know, building sure. from the ground up. You know, I'm I want to I want to work in <laughs> Los Feliz instead of Rialto, right? Or I want to I want to sure. work in Charlotte instead of, you know, the suburbs uh 3 hours away where the houses are a third as much as they are. Like what what's some good advice for realtors to kind of up their price point and up their their network? Sure. Um, and th the first key is to is to acknowledge that it can be done, right? I, I'm reasonably good friends with a realtor here in this town who's a few years older than me. But when I was in high school, she was a hero. She, she To me, she ran an advertising agency. It was local. It was well-known. She had some good experiences with that. She owned some very unique architecture in this town that is well-known as well. And she's actually publishes histories on Facebook of the houses that she's owned because people are super curious. And but she's only been in real estate, I think, four or five years. And she moves big houses and lots of them because of the network that existed, right, previously. Okay, meaning it's not a question of do you have years of experiences? Can I bring high-end buyers to this to the space, right? That's how you get high-end listings, right. having high-end buyers, right? Or either side of that equation, even better if you can get both, right? So the, so the key is then to understand that people are people, right? That trust building is trust building, right? No matter where you meet them, people respond to the same levels of trust building. And number three, the understanding that that space is actually not that crowded because as you said, so many of them are out there trying to prove their worth to work up the ladder in terms of the size of the deal. Like right. So understand that the space is really not that crowded. Okay, having said that, that's the, that's the pre, right? Get your head basically acknowledge you, you can make it happen. You know, that's the proof. What does it actually look like? Go to the spaces where those people hang out. Go to the spaces where those people hang out and find ways to serve that community. I'll tell you a really good story. I was, uh, I, I've been married now four years. I've been back in this town about six years. And when I was here uh, as a single person, I, I didn't, 
date much locally. I, I was in the business of building a network, you know, connecting. I didn't need, you know, the detritus of, you know, whatever leftover romantic relationship. So I, I dated almost exclusively long distance. But shortly after I moved home, uh, I joined the art museum because, you know, why wouldn't I, right? And um, and I get a thing in the mail. You've won two tickets to, you know, won two tickets to an art auction preview from a local state house, right? You know, an estate auction company. And looking back, they probably bought the mailing list and sent everybody two tickets, right? But it's an open bar. It's heavy hors d'oeuvres. It's a lecture from a, a docent, you know, or a, a curator, right, you know, about the estate. I figure, okay, I'll go, I'll go meet some people. Right, I'll go see what this is about. So I roll out there solo because I forgot I won two tickets, right? So I'm rolling out there solo and I come through the door and I look around and I realize there's 150 people in the room and I don't know any of them. And my first thought is that that's, that can't happen. I'd only lived in six St. Louis six months when you couldn't put 50 people in the room that I didn't know somebody there. So the fact that I'm back in my hometown with a group of 150 people and I recognize any of them, I'm like, that can't, that can't happen. So I'm moving around, moving around, moving around. <clears throat> and I'm going back to the bar for my second drink. And as I'm walking, there's a woman walking ahead of me and I, and, and I, I don't want to say judge, but I judge people based on the way they move because it tells me how comfortable and confident they are in their own skin. So I can already tell, even though they're backs to me, this is somebody I want to know, right? Not even romantic, but just somebody I want to know. So she says to the bartender, Mick Ultra, whatever she says, and turns to reach in her purse. And I come up behind her and put my hand on her shoulder and I say, ma'am, I've got this. And she goes, oh, that is so nice. And then she turns to look at the bartender and he hands her the Mick Ultra and goes, ma'am, it's an open bar. <laughs> and I said, dude, what? Said, you going to mess with me? And we all laughed. And she said, that's pretty smooth. Right. And she said, who are you? And I said, I'm Daniel Andrews. And I said, who are you? Della Watkins, the head of the art museum. And we ended up being friends. We took dance lessons together. We never dated, but we were, you know, I needed a date. She, you know, a plus one, she'd show up. She needed a plus one. I would show up. We took jag dance lessons together, right? You know, here, because she wanted to learn the local version, you know, how that one goes. And I need something. I can reach her, right? Her staff knows me when I come through the door, right? They're like, oh, that's Dan Andrews, right? And so it's just showing up in those spaces and being a friendly person. Right. I literally never flirted with her. I never asked her, you know, hey, you know, what are you doing after the auction? Right. None right. of that. I just made a lighthearted joke about I got this. Right. You know, and boom. Now, I, have I maintained that? Right. Do I? Right. Yes. Do I occasionally drop by, you know, to see what's up? Right. You know, but I have permission to park in her space when she's not there. Yeah. If her spot, right, it's the closest to the door in downtown Columbia. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Or if she is there, I have permission to park behind her because I know I will be leaving before she does. That's awesome. So, so let's close on this topic of maintaining sure. the relationships, right? Because you said, okay, this okay. is somebody I can call on. This is somebody who can call on me. You know, I'll never forget uh, my buddy Mark. I, I, I sadly got out of the habit, but I used to write. Um, personalized thank you notes to everybody after every transaction. Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Your referral means so much to me, da, da, da. And it's funny how these one-off things can kind of ruin a trend, right? So I remember um, my buddy Mark, uh, and I, I would call him a buddy, even though we don't do a ton of business together anymore. Uh, he called me one day and he's like, hey, Scott. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, I'm an environmentalist. I don't go into the office that much. Stop sending me these fucking thank you cards. Like, you're my guy. You're always going to get my deals. I don't need the thank you cards. You're just, you're just killing trees. I'm like, all right, I'll stop sending you thank you cards. Guess who stopped sending me business? Now, we've had conversations since then that, you know, his business has kind of moved on. He's doing mostly listings. Hey, don't worry, you didn't screw anything up. But I, in my heart of hearts, believe that that simple touch point of maintaining that relationship with a thank you note every time I got a referral, a thank you <clears throat> note every time we closed, you know, just... I'm writing the thank you note. Now he's top of mind. So I would remember to text or call him, you know, instead of going months without him hearing from me or me hearing from him. Like I ruined my own ability to stay in touch with him and maintain that relationship because I did what he said. I should have just kept writing the damn thank you notes. Um, or ask him because the follow-up is negotiable, right? Right. It's okay. I mean, meaning it has to work for me and friend. When he says stop sending thank you notes, that doesn't mean stop thanking him. It means ask him in what way he wants to be thanked. There you go. So how do right. we, how do we maintain those relationships? Let's say let's say I've got a pool of 
a couple hundred realtors who, 200 realtors who aren't as busy or making as much as they used to and they're not closing as many deals they used to. So for me, I, I can't just close with 10 or 15 relationship. I've got to expand that now to 50 or 100. So, so what are the touch points? What are the maintenance things I should be thinking about to keep those relationships fresh? Um, you know, the phrase, I saw this and thought of you goes a long way, which sounds like a huge investment, you know, in time, you know, looking for, you know, but as you're reading news or seeing something, right, you know, okay, here's the first key, be connected to them on every platform, even if you're not super active on Facebook, or they're not, or LinkedIn, or whatever it is, right, but when you see something that makes you think of somebody, forward it to them, right? You know, I I, I, uh, I saw a little video clip of a Bugatti racing a souped up Volkswagen bug and the guy and the bug is doing a fairly defensive job. And until the Bugatti spins him out, pits him and spins him out, he's staying, you know, he's neck and neck. Right. He, he can pass him in the curves. Right. You know, he can go over the grass because the Bugatti's too close. To him, right? right. And so I sent it to Dana and said, who races Mini Coopers, which is not a VW bug. But I said, somehow I picture the person in the gray car is you right right you just find a way to stay in front of me now it's funny i said because i recently as in like a couple since you and i started talking encountered a tool it's not really a crm but you put in a name and a phone number and it does connect to send out cards it will eventually They're, they've got the agreement they got to work out the api but you can put in what they're interested in personally or professionally and every time you log in it will pull up a series of web articles things have been published on and you're like oh saw this and thought of you Oh, saw this and thought of you. So I'll, I'll make sure you get that, and and I'll get you uh, my referral link for that, so that you can spread the word. Yeah. Oh <laughs> but, man. And for in sure. a case where you don't have something, they've got a library of 185. They call them items of value. Zig Ziglar's top quotes on leadership, right? You know, hey, you know, you said something about you know how the people in your company were pain in the ass, and I thought you know it might give you some peace of mind in your reviews. So maybe you could print this off and leave it on Bob's desk. <laughs> Yeah, right? but it's just a way to to drip on them. And what's great is it's electronic, right? It's email, so you're not you're not burning yeah. the postcards. By right? the way, I lo I love this so much because a bunch of my referral partners know me. They know that I coach. Um, I've even flirted with the idea of starting to coach you know, realtors in exchange for some, uh, some of those referrals, right? Like if I teach you how to go harvest more, more business, will you, will you bring a little bit of the harvest back to me? Um, I, I, a lot of my referral partners will call me and be like, Hey Scott, uh, I don't, I don't need a lead from you, but I need a book recommendation on X, Y, Z. Cause they know that I consume content at like a ungodly pace. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, me forwarding them links. I'm like, Oh, I saw this book synopsis or I saw this funny article or, um, you know, I'm thinking about this Mark, this guy, Mark with the thank you cards, he owns a boat, right? So if I saw something interesting on sailing out of Marina Del Rey, Hey man, did you, did you see this? Did you check that out? That that's very authentically me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's what's interesting, by the way, and this is just my two cents on your model, which means nothing, right? I call it nickels worth of free coaching, you know. But yes, I, if you wanted to support real estate agents, you should have a group for people that bring you at least one deal a month, right? And a group coaching model, and that's the price of admission. One loan a month with you. Why not? Because what I said was the way you stay top of mind is did you solve a problem for them? It might be revenue, i.e. another customer. It could be a better way to do things. It could be the fact that you executed your end of the transaction at such a high level that they wouldn't dream of leaving you. Right. Right. But I know a guy in the title business, just met him the other day, and his model is to go to the realtors and help them develop a marketing plan. He studies marketing <laughs> to show them what they, right? So if they're doing direct mail, he talks about online. If they're doing online, he talks about it. Right? He tries to help them get more volume knowing that as the volume flushes through you know his title company is going to get more business he can't influence that much how many people specify him but he can influence the volume of the people that are specifying him. yeah I love and that's that. again how he's solving a problem right so he's doing the same thing now he's coaching something different but he goes upstream and coaches on how you can get more business now he's not a marketing firm they don't do that i think again his title company started a marketing arm to, to funnel some of that business right but he just goes in and says have you thought about doing this we know for a fact it produces more volume and that's a win for them it has nothing to do with him him bringing a customer, hey, this is Scott Groves, he's gonna buy a team. It, it just turning up the volume, literally and figuratively, yeah. of the pipeline that comes through. And they're like, oh, when Fred came by, I got more sales. His name doesn't have to be attached to any one of those for that to have 
solved a problem. So if you're providing some coaching, that solves a problem. If you're doing your job the best, if you're the best resource for the book or the book summary, if you're swimming upstream of them and helping them market better, whatever, you're solving a problem for them. And that's what people say. How do you maintain the relationship? What's the best way to maintain the relationship? You know, thank you notes. You know, the best way to maintain the relationship is to bring them the resources that they need. I love that. Um, man, right. what, what, a, what a value packed interview, man. I know you and I are putting a training together for loan officers and maybe we should expand it to realtors to be quite honest. Cause I think this, this is just so, uh, it, it just, it permeates both, uh, businesses so well. I always like to end on two questions, Mr. Andrews. Sure. Um, number one, it's, uh, we're recording this at the beginning of 2023. This will probably be out in March or April of 2023. What are you most looking forward to this year, whether it be professionally or personally? And, uh, number two, most important of all the questions, what is your favorite movie and why? So, uh, we can, <laughs> we can hit, uh, we can hit either of those two, what you're looking most forward to in 2023 wow. or what's your favorite movie and why? Did you give me, I, I could have used a heads up on these uh, in real time. What am I lo most looking forward to? Um, it, the, the, partners, the, the partnerships with people like you, um, I, I, the evolution of my model of coaching people, you know, one, one at a time, one-on-one, -on -one, or even a small group on what I call ninja network building skills. <clears throat> um, to going into organizations, loan organizations, real estate organizations, financial services organizations, even a group of CPAs and doing a custom package for them. Right. Now I still think it's worth having people come on board, you know, in other words, don't wait for boss man to decide it's important. Right. right? For two reasons. Number one, I can help people make money immediately with what I'm teaching. Right. But number two, particularly if you're in a commission heavy or 1099 based business, if I swim upstream and get boss to pay for it, I'm going to actually tell them to bill you a significant portion of that because it, when you pay, you pay attention, right? right? I don't want to see boss man or boss lady eat 100% of the cost. So don't don't not engage with me because you think, you know, I'll just wait till corporate's willing to pay for it. Those are few and far between. Yep. But I'm looking forward to the to the to the fact that people are going to be engaging me by the tens and the twenties and the hundreds to bring this level of information. So that's yeah. one thing, and that's evolving in real time. Uh, and part of that is doing partnerships with people like you. And then, uh, wow, my favorite movie. Um, I own very few. And so that will help me uh, somewhat. Um, still hard to pick one, uh, to be sure. The one I've probably watched the most often in the last 20 years is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because there's always some Easter egg in there that I didn't catch the first time. It's flipping amazing how that all comes together that's uh but that's george one, clooney yeah. and uh, uh -huh. who else is uh, john turturro john turturro yeah. hunter right and um gosh i'm blanking on his name uh but john goodman is in it there's a bunch of stars in this thing um uh but anyway um and then one that goes way back that usually is the first to come to mind is the big chill the big and chill. I watched that. The big chill. I watched that as a teenager. Such a good movie. Took my friends to see it, and they're like, "Nothing happened." I'm like, "I'm sorry, everything happened." And that was my first clue that I was more dialed into the inside, you know, you know, the internal, you know, world of people than than the externals, right? But I, uh, the big chill. They created man. the notion of soundtrack as million seller, right? Yeah, really started with that. And um, people don't know it, but that's Kevin Costner's first film role. He's uncredited. You know why? Because he only shows in one scene. Yeah, I, I wrist in the in the casket. It's his wrist. He's he's the dead body. I'm looking that it's up. Tom Berger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein. Um, I mean, just just absolutely yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. star-studded and for those that don't know it's a movie about um one of their friends dies prematurely and i won't give too much of it away dies dies very young and so a bunch of college not college kids they're in their late 20s early 30s they get back together as kind of like a reunion to honor their their dead friend and they just have a conversation basically around the house for uh for a weekend and it's it's a really it's a really deep movie it's almost like um it's almost like if one of the main characters in 16 Candles or Breakfast Club died and then all those people got back together as adults, what that conversation would look like. And it's a phenomenal, slow-paced movie. And the soundtrack will blow you away. Mm -hmm. Turn me on to some music that I didn't even know existed. 
I love it, man. Well, Daniel, hey, thanks for being on. I know we just scratched the surface. We've actually got a whole webinar that we're going to do here shortly um, in the next couple months here with a bunch of uh, loan officers and now thinking about it, maybe realtors. And then uh, I know you got a, a course that you teach and you sell on this kind of stuff, whether it's one-off or if you're doing it as like a uh, enterprise solution model. So what's the easiest way for people to get in touch with you, either social media or website? Where can people find you? Yeah, um, started my website, which is not a great website because I, I'm all about relationship, but at least I wanted the credibility. So that's danielpatrickandrews.com. You know, you can't Google Daniel Patrick Andrews. You'll get this Australian politician, but danielpatrickandrews.com. Uh, Daniel P. Andrews at outlook.com is an easy way to email me. Again, I can hit you back with my LinkedIn profile just because it's hard to find. There's a lot of Daniel Andrews in the world. Uh, Facebook.com slash Dan, the man with the plan, 1967. So now you know what year I was born. There you go. You know, if you want to find me on Facebook, but um, yeah, re reach out. Um, I've got some resources. I've got some material I put out, you know, just because I, I feel compelled to support the world and their efforts to elevate uh, the field of network building, but uh, would love to get into a low key conversation, expose you to some free material and see if it resonates with you. If it resonates with you, then we get into something even better. I am consistently doing, the URL will change, otherwise I'll get to you right now, but I, I'll make sure you got it before you go live. I'm consistently doing a 25 minute workshop online on Zoom, free to the public. I used to charge 500 bucks for it, um, free to the public on how to tell the difference between high value and low value networking spaces. So if you reach out to me about that, I will definitely hit you back with a link. Um, and uh, get you some solid information. But uh, the, the, the website, my, my DanielPatrickAndrews.com, probably not that heavy on the Ninja Network building skills. Got it, got it. But it's a good place, good place to kick off. So good we'll place make, to start. Good place to find me. Make sure you're talking to the right person. I think I'm actually wearing the same suit in the photo. Perfect, perfect. I have the same suit, so I should be easy to spot. Well, we'll uh, we'll get that all together, man. Thanks for being on. And like I said, we'll uh, we'll splice this up into a few easier to digest clips for the people, and then we'll uh, we'll have this out, and we'll let you know when it comes out live. I'm excited, man. Thanks right. a million. Talk soon, man. I appreciate you. Rock and roll. Appreciate you.